Welcome to another edition of the Behind the Mask podcast, the show that introduces the athlete or the people behind the athlete, all powered by Empower Sports Management. Joining myself and Empower Sports Management co-founder Mark Kelly today, we've spoken to some former footballers and former sports people today. We have a current one. We are joined by Peterborough United defender Nathan Thompson. Thanks so much for joining us, Nathan. No problem at all. Thank you for having me. Uh, must be nice getting... Uh, well, you get a bit of time off for the summer. This is probably your, your hectic period of the year as you, as you build towards the start of the season. Yeah, no, um, it's been slightly strange this year in that I, I um, injured my shoulder last, it was February um, last season. So the off season was quite condensed. I broke up the back end of May. So I kind of had sort of two and a half weeks um, free time to, to go on holiday and then it was straight back at it but when you've not played for a period of time it's um you certainly look forward to pre-season and um yeah that's definitely been the case this time to start let's let's go back towards the start of the career your career you were you're born in chester but obviously really known for coming through the the, the swindon youth academy just talk us through your, your experience of, of playing as a, as a young player trying to make your way as you know from 10 through to your teenagers till, till you're breaking through well, I was I was very fortunate. My um, my dad was in the, um, the military in the army, so we moved about quite a bit as as youngsters, and um, we sort of went out to Germany for five years, and I got to experience football out there on the continent, which was real eye opener. Um, the way they sort of treat it, real youngsters playing competitive football, um, and then I come back to to the UK. I think it was twelve, and within about six months of being back here I was um I was spotted and, and um went up and trial at Swindon and was there from yeah from 12 to just 26 I think it was 26 27 in the end so um a good sort of real upbringing and again experienced numerous different managers and styles of play that probably set me up quite nicely for for the career that I've had so I'm um, very fortunate in having a wide range of um experiences in that sense did you play much football in Germany? What was the difference like playing as a kid over there to, to maybe in England? Yeah, I mean, as I say, it was that sort of competitive element that was um, ingrained in you from a very young age. I know here they, they, they're bringing in players at a younger age now, but we were playing competitive matches. Um, I think even Lou was playing at three, four years old um, wow. in competitive games. So you can imagine that a real competition. Um, I signed for a club. Um, it was a British club to begin with. Um, and then moved on to a team called Paderborn who sort of flutter between um, the top division and, and the second division um, out there in a moment in time. And yeah, as I say, real, some really good players. It'd be interesting to see if they've ever gone on. I'd, I've never really sort of kept track, but um, at the time they certainly looked um, good quality and it was a good standard and it set me up nicely, that competitive element that was ingrained in us um, to come back here. And as I say, the transition moved really quite smoothly. Did you pick up any German or were you just speaking English and out there in the kind of army setup? Or? Yeah, this is it. We we were kind of sheltered from that a little bit. You, you would go away on those tours and you'd feel slightly removed from it because I, I couldn't speak it. I was, I was trying and there was little bits in it, but I think when you're not immersed in that, um, it becomes difficult to, to really... Um, pick it up so um it's a, a big sort of regret of mine it's something that over the next few years picking up a language for once i transition out of football will be certainly a skill set that I'm, I'm trying to um to gain that's for sure when you're coming through at swindon and going through the the age groups were you single-minded focused that you're going to be a footballer had you eyed up other options what what was it like um, it was something I always wanted to be a footballer, but 
the education aspect was something that was ingrained in me by my parents. They, they said once um, I was leaving home to, to move up there that if you're going to take this on full time, then you need a backup plan. So I, would, I remember the, the Monday evenings we'd, we'd um, go to college in the morning, I think from nine till probably about one or two. Then we'd go to, to training and I'd end up going back to college to, a, to do a business studies A-level, which was tough. It was I wasn't driving at the time, so it was having to get a bus and um, it was difficult. And it certainly felt as though um my mum and dad were pushing that and at a time you probably don't appreciate how important that is but it's certainly ingrained a, an appetite for for education in me and um I think that certainly helped as I've got older to, to go back into university or to, to college I went on to do a an accounting course an AAT course and that and then obviously I'm, I'm studying for a master's at a moment in time I think that mindset that my parents kind of ingrained in me certainly stood me in good stead just talk us through the, the masters you're studying at the moment. So the masters is um, in sports directorship. It's for a company called UCFB, and it's just looking at the the business aspect of sport and um, looking at high performance culture and and what teams and um, organisations do to try and to get the most out of their athletes. So the um, it's it's just been really eye opening having to study literature again and um, write essays and do assignments and time manage you, you you come home from training i think it's well documented as footballers we have quite a bit of time uh, on our hands after football so to come home and have to to get your head stuck into a book i'm currently studying towards a dissertation at the moment in time looking at player onboarding and um it's a it's an added pressure but i recently wrote about it on on my linkedin profile that it's given me another sort of focus when i was injured having something else that wasn't maybe football is probably give me a real um it was definitely a benefit because it takes your mind off things um, as footballers when when you're not playing and not doing what you ultimately pay to do. It can be really difficult and get you quite down. And I know speaking to a lot of players, they've really been affected by it. So to be able to go and, and study and have a different focus has, has been really important for me. Which is, an interesting one where, which is an interesting one where I linked in with you, Nathan, because I saw that on LinkedIn, which was which was a great it was a great article. So that's why I linked back in with you. But um, so from your perspective, I know you just said this is something mum and dad instilled in you completely. Do you think, you know, should there be more emphasis placed on this type of scenario throughout the sport or throughout sport? Is that, is that your thought process? How, how do you see it? Because you've been in many change rooms. You've dealt with many players up and down your, your lifetime. Like I have, I mean, I spent 40 years in the game. So seeing young, young pros, scholars, all that. And all that education, what's your real thoughts on that? I think it's critical because in that, well, firstly, it gives you a, a different perspective. Secondly, I think it's well documented the, the rates of players that actually go on to have a sustained career in football. So to be able to, to put things in place for, you don't know when it's going to occur, but that transition into life after, after football, I think is pivotal. Um, and it gives you, it allows you to see things from a completely different perspective. And I think that's what it's certainly done for me. It's opened my mind up to new challenges, to connecting with other people. Um, I think what it requires, though, is a certain level of buy-in from, from football clubs. I think at the moment in time, there's definitely a, a real focus on players have to be fully committed to the job and at the end of the day that's what they're paid to do but at the same time I do think there should be some sort of 
an aspect of that well-being around players and making sure that they're more than just footballers where they they go to school and once they finish at 16 and I appreciate there's that little bit of college that they do in the first two years of a, as a scholar but after that it's kind of get on with it and unfortunately this career is very short even if you're able to make it to, to 35 you've still got a long time retired so anything we can do as players or as coaches and as a football club to help these um, the young lads in that transition I think is is pivotal. What What is needed within the game to try and make that that shift because it, it would need a cultural shift to, to, to change to, to be more have that sort of simultaneous education focus? It needs buy-in I think from from all levels um, as I say unfortunately if someone has a a different focus um, and that's not to say, I think I use Marcus Rashford as a perfect example. He, he Everything that he did around uh, free school meals and stuff like that, as soon as his performance levels dipped, everyone then ultimately blamed that on the fact that he's got involved in politics. And it's like, no, you need to focus on football. Well, once you finish at two o'clock, three o'clock, whatever time it is, you've got a long period of time there to be able to have other other focuses and I don't see why it has to be just single one dimensional in, in that sense so um, I just think that needs buy-in from from all levels and if coaches and, and football clubs are able to to push this and insist on it then I do think you'll get buy-in um, lads have got a huge amount of skill set we talk about players that walk out in front of Portsmouth perfect example 18,000 fans every week that's a huge amount of high pressured situations which enable them to transition into similar sorts of high pressure situations in the working environment if they're able to have an opportunity to to go and study and then maybe work experience roles within within different industries i think it could really open up um the players eyes and hopefully prepare them better for that transition yeah and it's brilliant yeah. because as i said the journey the journey that we've been on with this nathan has been a little bit of a journey for me because as you know I sat in that academy manager's hat on for a long, long time and, you know, within the process, seeing all the players. And like you just said, from 18 to 35, there is absolutely no, there's nothing else out there. There's the, you go from the process of 16 to 18, you do your scholarship, your BTEC, your MVQ. Some lads work around A-levels if they can do that while they're doing it cleverly. And then from 18 to 35, as you rightly said, you're kind of cut free. And it's that aspect of cut free because I think the real element is you just don't know when your last day in your sport is going to be. You know, you just don't know when that last day is going to be. So there shouldn't be these walls if people want to go. And, and I know there is. I've heard it from so many players that, as you said, when it's going well, everybody doesn't care what happens. You know I mean? You can be doing whatever you want. When it's going wrong, then all of a sudden they'll pick on the things that you're kind of getting into the process of and they'll find those little weak chinks to, to use. But uh just an interesting concept around it. It's a little journey we've gone on, but uh, it's brilliant to hear you talking about it because you've obviously had planned this for a long, long time by the sound of you. Uh, I think as players, you probably have an enlightening moment. And mine was possibly open my eyes to even Portsmouth in that at the time I'd come off the back of a, a really good season. And I felt as though in the conversations I had that it, that transition to another club would be quite, quite simple and straightforward. Um, and it took a lot longer than... Um, I thought and obviously I ended up coming up to Peterborough but that period of time where I was out of contract I felt extremely vulnerable and um, it was certainly off the back of that I thought no no you, you're not putting enough in place um, to put, I have a, a young family and that, that's only increased over the last sort of two years during this course but 
you don't know when that moment's going to come. And although things felt rosy at that back in what 2019 when I when I sort of left Portsmouth, um, I certainly it certainly scared me. And I was like, well, no, I need to start putting things in place. And I think it probably requires every player having that moment to to wake them up and and give them a little shake in that sense. How tough was that year when you'd have spoken to your friends in the game and seen everyone on social media going back to pre-season and, and starting their preparations and, and you having to go and do some running by yourself and try and keep your, y- yourself fit and get yourself ready for the season? It's horrible and it's possibly the most, it's the least talked about aspect of football. That being out of contract, it's extremely lonely. I remember being sat, I was actually at Gosport Gym and doing some work there and re, um, yes, just get me, um, I think it was a leg session I was doing and constantly, probably every five minutes, checking my phone to see if I'd had a phone call. And it's a horrible, horrible, vulnerable feeling because, you know, in, I think I signed the middle of August, come the end of July, you stop getting paid. So I think you may get one month severance packet, but <laughs> all of a sudden you're left out there and you just left on savings that you may have accumulated and not everyone's got that. So it's a vulnerable place. And as I say, that's what gave me the, the real shakeup that I needed. Were there points that some of you thought the call's never going to come? No, simply because the feedback and the comments I was having, I felt they were positive. It was just people weren't willing to commit and like, yep, you're on the list. And that list could have been one, two, five people strong. So you just what I remember ended up doing was I felt like I was getting sort of palmed off a little bit. Ah, oh, this person to, um, that we need to speak to the head of recruitment, or we need to speak to the manager, and you in there. And I ended up going, you know what? I'm not going to deal with it. I didn't want my agent dealing with it. I remember getting on the phone to numerous different managers just so I could hear it from the horse's mouth. And um, that's how vulnerable you you become as a player when you're out of contract. You're at the sort of back and call of, of those managers and I think ultimately when you're out of contract all of a sudden you're not as appealing um, because you're not seen as wanted by anybody else so it is a it's not a nice feeling that's for sure. It's interesting because there's a player I knew very well a few years ago that was similarly found themselves out of contract by surprise and yeah early in the summer their agent said there were 15 clubs interested in them in the end there were only ever two offers put on the table and one of them was taken and, and things went went okay but how much of a roller coaster is because you think if 15 clubs are in for you great this is almost gonna be an auction for my services and then you realize interested is a yeah. very well in itself an interesting term to use in that situation definitely i think that was the the conversations i was having um yeah it was very similar conversations in that yeah we've got numerous clubs interested and and I think I, I went on record and saying that I was desperate to, to play in the championship when I was leaving. And they were the conversations we were having with championship clubs and they were, were extremely positive at the time. But <laughs> there was no contract on the table and ultimately you're waiting and waiting and waiting. And as the summer goes on, it becomes a bit like a, a house that's on the market for a period of time. You think, oh, there must be something wrong. If no, no one's snapping them up, there must be something wrong with that. And I felt certainly felt like that. It was um, it was definitely waiting game, and you think I left in the middle of May. I didn't sign till the middle of August. That what, three month window is feels an eternity, and it's something that I don't want to experience again. Um, and it is a really tricky situation for for young lads. I'm seeing it all the time at the moment. In time good players out of contract, and possibly with COVID and the, the ramifications that have come since then, it's. Um, it's left players very vulnerable. Do you think there's any? Do you think there should be some more support around that? 
Nathan, around that area of when boys are let go from football clubs. Because I'll tell you why, I was in Germany, funnily enough, I took, I took the youth team in the Premier League days out to Germany. We were on tour and we, were in a, we stayed in a sports school in Wolfsburg and it was literally empty, this, this, this sports, sports place. We were the only group in there. Then all of a sudden, overnight, we came down to breakfast one morning and the whole place was packed. And there was a staff table at the end. So I asked if I could go and sit with the staff and I sat with them. And I said, what, what's happening here? Because there's all sorts of different tracksuits, all sorts of, you know, different people coming from different areas. I said, what's going on here? I said, oh, what happens at the end of every season is we, the, the PFA, as in the German PFA, they, they, they run this camp where everybody can come in. Everybody that's out of contract can sign up and go to this camp and work for the six weeks until they're supported in going back into a club. And I thought that was such, it was so simplistic, but it was such a great, you know, support mechanism around the players that have been, you know, in that little media transition, because it happens, it happens all the time. But the great thing is the scouts would come in, they could come and talk to the lads, the, the, man, the coaches could come in and watch the games. They had, it was a proper pre-season camp. So all over six weeks, and you go, you can come in when you like, you can leave when you like. And I just thought that was a brilliant support mechanism. I'd love to see that kind of mechanism over here. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think naturally when you leave a football club, the, the club that you're leaving are probably, they're focused on those players that are coming and returning in the summer. And then you are left on your own in that sense. And you, you're doing your running drills and stuff. Like that. And it, it's a lonely, vulnerable place. And if you've not got a support network around you that's able to give you give you that or may have experienced similar sort of situations before, then yeah, it's, it's isolated. So I couldn't agree more. It's just who does, who shoulders that responsibility if the, the PFA, I think a lot is made of, could they be doing more to support young lads that fall out of the game? The amount of players that are out of contract every summer is astronomical really. Um, and it's, could they be doing more? I, I think the answer is yes, across the board, not just in out of contract, but, with education, with opportunities. I always see it as you look around the um, the Fratton Park, for example, all the different sponsors that are there. And I think there's so many opportunities for lads to be able to go in and have placements or to do work experience alongside, if, especially the young lads that are, are coming through and they're maybe not going to be making um, a profession, making a professional career out of it. You think you, you've got all those different advertising boards of all those sponsorship or sponsors the love Portsmouth or love Peterborough, whoever it is, that may be willing to offer those work placements. And is there anything we can do to support those young lads that enable that transition? Because as soon as the um, doors goes in, maybe we get some exit trials. And if it, if it doesn't work out, it's a lot of talented young lads that, that fall away. And it's funny because I've just recently become a, um, the chairman of an advisory board for a, a non-league club. And it was someone that actually I, um, is on my course the the sport the club and the whole reason i've got involved in it one is the networking opportunities of the board but two is because it's the whole purpose of it is to to get young lads in that have fallen away from um out of love of football after being released get them back into to the football league and we see in trying to do that through mentoring and um just putting things in place that maybe should be done in in football clubs but aren't they're just neglected because for whatever reason so it's just um it's been quite eye-opening to see what what these young lads need who was your support network who got you through that summer family um my wife my child i think having a young child at that time 
it, it, one, it kept things in perspective, but two, it took my mind off things. So when I wasn't on my own doing that gym session, say, I'd be out with him and that would totally take your mind off it. And I think that was really, really important. Um, if I didn't, I remember going back and I haven't really spoken about it much, but when I first moved to Portsmouth, I was commuting from Swindon for the first probably eight to 10 weeks. And at the time, um, I don't know if you remember, but literally with, I think it was the second training session, I tore my plantar fascia in my foot. So I missed pretty much the whole of the preseason. And it was the lowest time I'd ever had um, being in football. I was commuting and the amount of alone time and thinking time and thinking you've just started a new club, you're already on it, um, you're injured. You, you go into this stadium and the first impression that you're given is that you're injured from day one. And again, it's a, it's an isolated, lonely feeling. And um, at the time I didn't have a child. So that commute was my thinking time. And I was, it was quite a depressed state. And I remember having to go and see someone, a psychologist, because um, I wasn't myself in that sense at all. So um, yeah, I can certainly understand the, the pressures that are placed on these young lads if they're, they're not in the, um, they haven't got that support network around them. What kind of support would have would have helped you and would have made that transition a bit 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 more straightforward? A tricky one. Um, it, I think realistically, I was I was fortunate in the PFA at the time had brought they'd started using these psychologists, so they'd find the local psychologist and team you up with it, and that was was really important. It gave me a, a different perspective and, and worked on a couple of things. Um, from a club perspective, I don't know. It's it, it is tricky. Um, at the time, they had they had Ashley, who was there at Portsmouth, and she would be the the player liaison officer. But the whole point of what my dissertation is at the moment in time is this player onboarding, and is there more that can be done from a club perspective? And and just hearing how things are done at the elite level that make sure that your family are, are fully immersed in in the club culture, the all the day to day stuff that. I, th I suspect many people would just think it's second nature, but if you, you take a young 20 year old as such coming from the other end of the country and it's the first time they moved away from home and they're put into a new environment and expected to get on with it like this without that full sort of onboarding and integration process, I think is really, really difficult. And we've certainly had it here. I've sort of observed it at this club, but, young lads that have pick up those injuries and then they're isolated because they haven't got their family around them it, it is a lonely place and I do think that if you've got someone there that's maybe slightly impartial not as driven when it comes to results that that's not their KPIs they're not bothered about that sort of thing then I do think it gives you a slightly different perspective and I think it is a, a huge benefit to clubs and I do think although it's brought in cows you'll be able to share but I'm sure that player care is something that the triple P ruling now is, is kind of insisted on. And it, so it happens within academies, but it's not happening within the first team, um, especially as you come down the pyramid, because it's a cost that they don't, clubs don't want to or can't afford. So I do think that um, analysing player welf welfare um, and seeing players as, as more than just a footballer is, is really important. Well, that's a, you know, you're talking there, Nathan, you're absolutely right, but you're talking there. I mean, that's a specialist job, isn't it, really? You've got to have somebody that's kind of lived through that process, gets, understands the process. That, for me, is why clubs should be tapping into senior pros that are stepping outside the game. That have probably, as you rightly said, moved 10, 15 times, understand, understand all of that. 
we're just an independent department within the, their own club to actually manage what goes on with individuals because listen you know we all know that coaches and managers don't really always get the time to sit and go through every little detail with individuals you, you can't do that but you're right i think if you could you could put more provision to actually somebody being in with within the club that actually gets all of that that's been through it again another brilliant resource and it would help massively and this is it when you look at the amount of money that the pfa has sat on i don't understand why that couldn't be a role of theirs to say right here's an x amount for a player care department or even if it's just one person that helps those young lads or just lads in general in that transition um i don't see you think a salary across the football league clubs i can't see that being a huge dent in their the amount of money they take anyway so it's just super thought around that let's let's look ahead because you talked about you did your business a level you did look at accountancy you've got your your masters ongoing now hopefully you've still got a good four or five years left at least playing at a high level football but what are you what are you looking thinking you might do afterwards i would love to if i'm truthfully honest i'd love to move into a sort of sporting director um they've got so many different names with technical director those sorts of um positions the recruitment i mean i've been sort of very immersed in the um sort of physio department the sport science department i understand that the kind of recruitment and the the business aspect of football is something that i'm trying to gain more of an understanding that was the point of going on the course um and now it's just that once that comes to an end next month it's then getting as much sort of experience going in and, and speaking to to different clubs and um not just in this country abroad i think the sporting director role is is quite prominent um on the continent so to go out there and, and gain a real understanding around that would be is, is really important and hopefully it should sort of lead into a, a role in the future and with recruitment teams sort of they're a reasonable size in a lot of clubs it feels like there probably is that the, the scope to join and try and work your way through the ranks if if necessary yeah i mean i think that's the recruitment side of things is something that i've probably not had as much exposure to and it's something that over the next couple of years i try to really get involved in more i mean, I, I read an article recently of um, dan ashworth who's just gone from brighton to, to newcastle and he said his role is very much imagine the bike and all the spokes being the different heads of departments and then he's in the middle trying to keep that the bike wheel turning to be able to oversee that and i'm talking don't get me wrong down the line and after years of working in different departments but being able to transition into that with a playing background and playing experience hopefully it should lend quite nicely into being able to support that you talked about how tough it was being out of contract yeah as a footballer inevitably it's going to happen again to you being out of contract how, how do you prepare yourself for what that might be like having gone through such a tough experience last time again this course being really important and then i think my contract now i've got this year and then if i play half the games this season i get another year um and i was only speaking to our chairman the other day and i said realistically if i get a year or two um after that then i'd have done very well but i'm probably trying to position myself that after the two years that i've got here if for whatever reason it come to an end then then so be it let's put yourself and get as much experience under your belt as possible as many strings to your bow in in that time so um it's just yeah making sure that i'm in a strong enough position and, and hence why the networking the linkedin the the course the mantle all these different sort of plates i'm trying to spin at the moment in time just lends itself to that next transition do you see yourself as someone who's 40 and 
drop down and playing non-league or do you think you'll you'll know when you you want to call it call it quits I, th- I think so I think by yeah 34 35 I think I would have had enough uh, hopefully I'd be in a position by that time to be able to say no you know what enough's enough um you know my game it's I rely on that physicality the sort of athleticism that's probably helped over the years and as that starts to fade it's probably of no benefit to me in that sense anymore so if if I'm able to, then I'd like to be able to transition at that point. Well, it's funny because as we move towards the end, actually, you mentioned your athleticism. I was, I was going to mention, how did your parents stop you and Louis kicking lumps out of each other in the garden or did they just let it happen? When you yeah, were I was going to say, they didn't. They didn't. They should probably fully encouraged it. <laughs> and it probably set us up quite nicely. Um, although, no, it's, we, we, as I say, we moved about quite a bit. So we become best mates and it was that... Um, relationship that's set us up nicely throughout our careers and it enables us to bounce off each other but it's probably also enabled us to be that sort of robustness that you, you need to get to get through and to have that sort of aggression I guess that you need to to make it as a player so yeah that certainly wasn't discouraged to say the least. How much have you lent on each other because he's obviously had horrible injury problems you've spent time out but you, you how how much do you sort of almost need each other in in times like that? Lou, in many ways, is he's been incredible. And I think often players that are injured are seen as quite weak. They're weak mentally. And if I'm truthfully honest, those that go through those long-term injuries are possibly the strongest mentally you come across. I recently watched the Lewis Cook documentary. I don't know if you've seen it on YouTube, but you see the, the battle that he went through after his second ACL. Lou had two shoulder dislocations, two Achilles ruptures, but all long, long injuries. And to have the mental strength to constantly come back from that, um, I've always admired. And that to see him do as well as he did last year and, and cement himself, it, it was made me so proud because, yeah, it's tough. And I think, if anything, it will, it will help him when he comes to transitioning because he certainly would have been through some really difficult sort of periods of his career. The final question for me that I just can't resist and have to ask you is, how have you nailed... Uh, getting free kicks cheaply off strikers, probably better than any player that I've ever watched play football. You know what, strangely, we were only playing Lake Norian the other day and um, I went to, I, I certainly thought it was a foul, the guy dragged me down, but Portuguese referee didn't buy it and I was thinking, ah, it obviously doesn't work <laughs> on the condiment. So it's, um, but no, I'm happy to, I don't know, it's something that maybe comes with experience, just understanding like, when when you can do it and I've certainly paid the price of it not working and the ball getting away from me and um and nearly costing us so um it's, I'm definitely feeling as though it's starting to wear thin now and I'm probably gonna have to change the game up that's probably why I'm coming to the end of the career and having to transition if I'm honest don't get away with it anymore but um no as long as it continue if it is continuing then I see it as a um, yeah, that little bit of experience, trying to use your, ma- your mind on them. Well, I commented a lot with Guy Whittingham, and he's basically just very jealous that strikers never get uh, <laughs> free kicks, free kicks quite that, quite that cheaply. Nathan, this has been an absolutely fascinating chat, and you certainly come across as a player who's really going to be well prepared when when the, the the time does come for you to step away. Just lastly, in the dressing room, is it is it fairly split between players who are really well prepared? Are you in the minority? What what's what's it? It's like, yeah, I definitely say minority at the moment in time. I hopefully, by I, I try to be quite sort of vocal on it and suggesting, but as I say, it needs that moment of enlightenment. And 
whilst the, the dressing rooms seem to be getting younger and younger at the moment and those more experienced players are kind of no longer in the game as such, um, yeah, unfortunately, I don't think it's being absorbed as quickly as you want. But you mentioned it earlier on, it definitely requires that culture, cultural change and the work that Kels is doing. I think it needs to become more and more sort of paramount in that people are sort of taking it up on it and there needs to be buy-in from all areas of the club in that sense so hopefully fingers crossed in due course that will happen but um, at the moment it's definitely the minority well look thank you so much for uh, your time Nathan and to Mark Kelly and thank you to listening to this podcast if you've enjoyed this then there are a number of others in the series just make sure you hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast from I hope you enjoyed this and we will see you again soon on the Behind the Mask podcast.